Welcome to From Water Into Wine with Mignon Morel, the place where we discuss the practical and supernatural ways of the kingdom of God that are relevant to your life. And now, today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Mignon Morel. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be salt and light especially in the current state of our world. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything any longer, but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, we see here in this verse that Christians are called to be both salt and light. But what exactly does this mean, salt and light? Salt is what gives something its flavor. It's an element that brings out the flavor of whatever it's added to. Salt also acts as a preservative. Light illuminates and repels darkness. In John 1-7, we are told that Jesus is the true light who enlightens everyone who comes to him. John 1, 7, John was not the light, but came to testify about the light. There it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. So first, Jesus is the true source of all light for mankind. So when we come to Jesus, he enlightens us with his truth and his glory, the truth of who he is and who we are now called to be. He then tells us that we are the salt and light in the world, just like he is. So we are called to shine his truth and light within society in a way that adds flavor, that preserves and enlightens those we come into contact with for his glory. But before we can do this well, this being salt in life, we have to know the truth that we are called to be filled with his light first for ourselves. Luke eleven thirty three, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or crypt or under a bushel measure, but on a lampstand that those who are coming in may see the light. Your eye, your conscience, is the lamp of your body. When your eye, your conscience, is sound and fulfilling its office, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound and it's not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. If then your entire body is illuminated, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright with light, as when a lamp with its bright rays gives you light. Our conscience is a part of our God-given internal faculties. Some would even say a part of our spirit. It is a critical inner awareness that bears witness to the norms and values we recognize when determining right or wrong. 
Now, for Christians, this is especially true in regards to the truth of God's word and aligning ourselves with that truth and God's will. When our understanding of the truth is incorrect, our conscience is not sound. And as the verse I just read said, when our conscience is not sound, it doesn't fulfill its office. In other words, it doesn't accomplish its purpose for us in our life, and it brings darkness into the whole body. When this happens, we are not able to be salt and light. That is why Jesus warns us in this passage to be sure that we are not deluded and that the light within us is not actually darkness. Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. If then your entire body is illuminated, having no part dark, it'll be wholly bright with light, as when a lamp with its bright rays gives you light. Jesus warns us because having the wrong understanding of his truth darkens our conscience and dims our light. If our understanding is not based on God's truth in his word, our conscience cannot judge correctly right from wrong, and we lose our ability to fully shine and be the salt and light that God calls us to be. Our conscience becomes darkened when we do things like choose our own will continually over God's, or live like the culture around us versus the way that God has asked us to live, or when we knowingly live in perpetual sin. This is why there are several verses in the Bible like Titus 1.15 that speak to the fact that conscience, our ability to tell right from wrong, can become seared and corrupted. So when we talk about being salt and light, we first have to understand that in order to do it well, we have to be filled with light of God's truth his word and spirit, so that our light does not get dim and our saltiness does not lose its flavor. In fact, it's important to remember that Jesus is God's word made flesh to us. So he really is our perfect theology, so to speak. When we study the life of Jesus and the words he gave us, we see that he truly was salt and light in everything he did. There was no darkness in him. There was no corruption or misunderstanding in his conscience. This is mainly because he only did what he saw the Father do and said what the Father was saying. So how can we be salt and light in a world that is struggling? You know, as Christians, we're called to go out and have an impact for Jesus within society. This is a command from Jesus himself to all Christians. Again, Matthew 5:15, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see. They may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds and recognize an honor and praise and glorify your Father who's in heaven. As the scripture says, we are like a city on a hill. We can't be hidden. <laughs> so it's a command that we are to shine and preserve as we go out into society. So how do we be salt and light in a lost world? Well, there are many ways we can do it. For instance, we can do it through serving one another and those around us, through encouraging and being compassionate to those in our lives who are in need. We can do it through kindness and letting people know they are seen and valued. But one of the most important ways I believe we can be salt and light in the current cultural climate is what I'm actually going to cover in this talk, just this one specific way. We can be salt and light by being committed to share God's truth, the truth of his word, and who Jesus is for us 
and the freedom he brings into our lives while shining the fullness of his unconditional love, truth and love. We are called to do both at the same time. If you only have or share the truth without love, you are nothing more than a clanging bell, as the apostle says in Corinthians 13. And if you only have love without truth, you're left to the whim of your emotions. And the truth about what real love is from God's perspective is lost. And the idea of love becomes whatever fad is popular at the moment. So one way we can be salt and light in this current time is really with both truth and love. You have to have both in order to impact society. Sharing the truth of who God is for us his word and his ways, and sharing the unconditional love of God and Jesus with people through service and kindness and compassion. These are things we have to do and can do. We have to do both in order to make an impact just like Jesus did. This is an area I think the church is really currently struggling in. We are either way too uh, truth-oriented with harsh judgment or we're way too love-oriented with compromise and allowing sin. This is imbalanced, and it comes across imbalanced to the world we are trying to impact. Now, I want to say a word here about judgment and exactly what righteous judgment is. Many Christians say, well, we're not supposed to judge, but that's actually incorrect or a false understanding. We're not supposed to judge superficially. That's what Scripture says. We are to learn how to judge righteously. Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority, as though assuming the office of a judge, so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. And in accordance with the standard of the measure used to pass judgment, judgment will be measured to you. This is not saying, or it's not a prohibition of judgment, nor is it a command to stop using, you know, godly wisdom and common sense, uh, okay, to discern right from wrong, or using God's written word to discern right from wrong, or to distinguish between morality and immorality, or to judge doctrinal truth. There are many judgments that are not only legitimate, but are commanded all the way throughout Scripture, However, you, what it's saying is you cannot judge another if you're committing the same type of sin and your attitude is one of self-righteous superiority. In John 7, 24, Jesus tells us, Do not judge by appearance superficially and arrogantly, but judge fairly and righteously. He says it right there. We are to learn to judge fairly and righteously. You know, righteous judgments see sin for what it is, and it's not afraid necessarily to point it out. But this judgment can become unrighteous when it stems from a holier-than-thou motives or when it seeks to condemn people rather than to restore them. You know, we can't help a brother if we are self-righteous or engage in the same sin they are doing. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, that you needed to remove the log from your own eye first. Then you would be able to see clearly to help remove the log out of your brother's eyes. He was talking about not being a hypocrite when you're dealing with people's sins. Learning to judge righteously. 
We have to be able to rightly judge wrong and right and not sin against our conscience when we do it because we are supposed to be the light of the world that leads people out of darkness. You can't do that if you don't know how to judge correctly the world and issues around you. I think one of the reasons that we currently struggle in the church in doing well with truth and love uh, is because we don't really know what real love is. And by this, I mean, we don't really know what a love is from God's perspective. A lot of our love has joined much of the world and become humanistic in its approach. Uh, I want to talk here a little bit about humanism because humanism is one of the biggest hurdles I think to us being salt and light in the modern world. Humanism is one of the biggest systems that Satan is pushing for the world to adopt in our time, especially here in America. Humanism at its core is antithetical to Christianity. So it's important we understand what the differences are when we're when we are going out trying to be salt and light. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought that attaches prime importance to the human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stress the value uh, and goodness of human beings, emphasizing common human needs, and they seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. The definition of humanism is a belief that a personal human needs and values are more important than religious beliefs, uh, God's desires, or the needs and desires even of other humans. An example of humanism is the belief that the person creates their own set of ethics. And the core elements of humanistic thought are, you know, higher education, reason, individualism, and a strong belief in the universal human nature. So humanism is what is behind a lot of wokeness and social justice activism that we see in society and creeping into the church today. We look to man to solve our issues before we look to God. So we base our solutions upon our own code of ethics of what is right and what is wrong. This right and wrong often changes and fluctuates as public opinion fluctuates. God, his will, and his word are not fully considered, if at all, so we act and we love one another humanistically. The truth is, all real love first starts and flows from God. And real love from God comes with the truth of God in regards to who he is and his will. You know, humanism was actually introduced to the church back during the time of the Renaissance by a man named Erasmus, who combined theology with humanist principles. In fact, I'll share a very interesting aside here. You know, I'd never heard about Erasmus before, nor his influence in the church until about two years ago. I was visiting a church in a town near me, and the worship and presence of God there was very lacking. And during that time, the Lord began to speak to me about what was over the area and some of the churches in the area as to why his spirit was not flowing freely. Now, please understand, I'm talking about corporate anointing here. Christians carry the Holy Spirit anointing within them all the time, but there is a different type of anointing that can come when we're all together. So just so you understand. Anyway, the Lord told me 
uh, that the issue was humanism combined with their Christianity that was being fueled by a spirit of Erasmus. And he told me to go and do research on Erasmus and the influence of humanism in the church. Now, before the Lord had shared this, I'd never heard of this person, much less given thought to humanism or even really considered exactly what it was. But when the Lord is specific and says, go and do research, you do it. A few months later, one of the pastors who'd been at this church and I were talking, and he said to me out of the blue, you know, Mignon, one of the issues there was the fact there's a lot of humanism, very humanistic. So God even confirmed it to me through another source. Now, here in America, after the last few years of societal turmoil, it is much clearer to see the impact that humanism is having in the church as well as in society. Jesus set up the standard that refutes humanism when he spoke about what the most important commandments were. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which were the most important commandments in God's eyes? And he replied to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great, most important principle and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. These two commandments sum up and upon them depend all the law and the prophets. Now, notice when he says comes first. We are to love God, his ways and truth with all of our hearts, our souls and our minds. This means we abide by his will first before anything else. That is the life that Jesus modeled. It also means that for a Christian, God and his love is to be the most important focus of our lives. Then, after we have that down, we move on to the second commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we love them as much as we are able to love ourselves. In this statement, the as means equal to. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. You can't give what you don't have. So, in humanism, we only focus on loving and serving ourselves and then others as we see fit. God doesn't really come into the equation. Our desires and truths we have decided to be important to us is what matters, regardless of how God would see them. In humanism, all truth is relative. And choosing to address man's needs and values, uh, regardless of what God may desire or think, is what's important. So let me go back to what I said earlier about how in the church we are often taught to love others, but we do it rather humanistically. I say this because we don't always consider God's perspective when dealing with others. We tend to focus more on meeting needs or pacifying emotions than we do with sharing the truth and love that God may want conveyed to the person. Jesus did not live like this. He was not humanistic in his approach to people. He was always about the will and truth of his father first before the needs of man. For example, remember the story of the woman he uh, called a dog in Matthew 15? Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that district came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly possessed by a demon. But he did not say a word in answer to her. And his disciples came and asked him repeatedly, Send her away, because she keeps shouting after us. He answered, 
I was commissioned by God and sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to kneel before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to their pet dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the pet dogs eat the crumbs that fall away from their young master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, your faith and confidence in my power is great. It'll be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that moment. So question, why did Jesus feel comfortable calling this woman a dog? Why not just heal her and move on or or meet her needs? I mean, he did it for others. You know, if, if the woman had left and not pushed him for a response, would he have kept walking? Those are the questions we need to think about. Jesus was not humanistic in his approach to people. Now, I want to make something clear here. I'm not saying that we don't meet people's needs, that we don't minister to them by doing that. What I'm saying is that while we are doing that, we learn how to share the truth in love and convey the message that the God has for the person. Jesus loved his father so much that he gave up his own life for love to save us all. He made the greatest sacrifice because of his love, but he was not humanistic in his love to only meet people's needs or emotions, needs that would change from day to day. Jesus was perfect in his love and knew that by being obedient to what God called him to do first, it would enable the right course of action to be done for the people. Let me give you a, more of a personal example um, that where God spoke to me about how I was being humanistic uh, in my understanding of his love. Um, many years ago, I lived in an area where I had to go under a bridge to get home. And of course, this bridge always had a bunch of homeless people living there. And I would give money often, you know, where Christians were told to give, especially to the poor and needy. So I always had money available or food and I would give it. And one day I'm going under the bridge and of course they're coming and, and the Lord stops me and says, I don't want you to give them money. And I was so shocked. I was like, Lord, what? This can't be Jesus. We always give, you know? And the Lord said to me really strongly, he said, Mignon, you are blocking my ability to truly help them. When you give them money, it allows them to stay on the street instead of going to the shelters, to the places I have prepared for them to get the help that they need. I need you to stop getting in my way. I need you to love better. That is an example of humanism. And it taught me a lot in that moment. It made me question, Lord, I must be misreading some things if this is what you mean. But it's true. We have to learn to love God well and put him first if we are truly going to learn to be salt and light. God is the one who guides us into how to, to rightly love and help others. He is always out to save people, but how he wants to do that matters to him. And we need to line ourselves with, up with his perfect will in doing it. So let's apply this to current day issues that we are facing. Let's talk about that. You know, in our current climate, it can feel confusing. You know, in America right now, I can feel like we're living in the book of Romans, chapter one, where the worst attributes of society are being poured out. You know, for instance, 
Now we're seeing a great influx of confusion and gender identity issues and bodily mutilations. You know, LBGTQ lifestyle is a growing focus. How do we stand and shine the truth of Jesus in this day and age to issues like this? How do we do this? Well, uh, we start by speaking the truth in love. And I want to share a little bit of my personal testimony in this section. And I'm going to say I'm going to get a little more specific and graphic in some ways because I would like you to understand the truth of my testimony and understand why I have the perspective that I do. Many people don't know that I grew up in a gay household. My father decided he was gay after my parents' divorce, and I grew up with him in his house and was exposed to that lifestyle for many, many years. I saw what goes on in the identity issues and the sin that runs rampant in that lifestyle. You know, things like grooming children was normal. I can't tell you uh, the sexual things I was exposed to at a young age or how many times I was propositioned for sex when I was barely a teenager. Older men having sex with uh, people as young as 16 years old was not uncommon, and pedophilia was considered somewhat normal because in that lifestyle, the worship of sex and your desire for your sexual needs to be met is a priority. And the younger men were prized and lusted after for their youth and their beauty. And younger girls were too, for the women. You know, everybody knew about it, and they did not think it was a negative thing. My straight sexual identity, which is what I was, was questioned constantly because there was a desire to bring others into that lifestyle by all the people I was around. I saw the violence, which is extremely high in the gay community, and the despair and the depression the individuals go through. I saw the pride and the sin that they have and the hatred that can arise for the opposite sex. I saw the shame and the confusion that they carry and the propensity to die young due to sexually transmitted disease, the loneliness they feel, so much torment, and so many other truly difficult sick things that I won't go into that are not good for a person's mental state. Basically, I saw the deception of the enemy run, run, ruining people's lives. But I was not allowed to address it or deal with it. I had to be very pro-gay when I was growing up, uh, when watching all of this destruction go on around me, because everyone I knew was gay, my core family was gay, and you were only accepted in that community if you were like them or you truly supported them. No other opinions were allowed. You know, and I want to say something here, because this, this, is, this is a big deal in America. Uh, there's a lot of confusion and division in the gay community. You know that trans really is, in its basic form, simply a person with a spirit of division. It divides them on the inside. That is why there is so much confusion. It is tormenting. You know, during my growing up years, I also saw a lot of the spiritual and demonic behind a lot of this. But I didn't know how to deal with it or truly even what it was because we were not Christian. I didn't have the tools growing up to deal with all of that um, and how to deal with all the pain and suffering that I saw as part of that lifestyle when I was growing up. But when I became a Christian, I discovered that God actually did have the power to deal with all of that, to heal and remove all these things. And I learned the truth 
that he truly loves those people too much to leave them that way. And he wants to bring freedom to every part of their being. That to do less is leaving them in a state of torment. And that is one of the most unloving things you can do. God created each of them with a purpose, and it was not to live in a lifestyle that drags them down. Jesus is what they need, and he is the love and acceptance and the true home they are really looking for. You know, we can love people unconditionally and still share with them the truth of Jesus's goodness and love. We turn them to him and his truth, not ourselves, and let him bring whatever transformation he wants to bring them. I've seen people come out of this lifestyle because they saw a greater truth in love than the one they were living. It takes both. And we have to remember that the wages of sin for all of us is death, is death. So it does matter. So now in America, especially, we see a lot of what I witnessed as a kid growing up coming out into the open. Drag queens running story time grooming children in the school system. The government pushing trans and confusion as a lifestyle choice. The push for pedophilia to be accepted as normal. This is all a part of humanism, as I said earlier, doing what one deems right and wrong unto themselves. So how do we deal with this as a people of God? Well, as a church, I really believe we have to do two things. First, we have to stand against laws and regulations that endanger children, mire them in confusion, and open them up to predators whose conscience is dark. That is our first job. We protect the children. In Matthew 18, 6, it was Jesus who said that for the person who causes a young one to stumble in sin, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Mignon did not say this. Jesus said this, and he was speaking about these types of things. It is our duty to protect children from this type of thing, or we will be considered complicit in it. But we also have to learn how to stand against wrong and deviant principles in society while still ministering to the people in the LGBTQ community one-on-one with love and compassion and truth. We can do both. It's not one or the other. Jesus modeled this throughout his life. He stood against sin, but he ministered to the sinner. And we are all sinners. You know, I have ministered to many in the gay lifestyle and have seen a lot of fruit. You have to remember, too, that confusion only gets removed by the truth. The truth spoken in love. Focusing them back to Jesus can have a huge impact in their lives. You know, there are some people who won't listen, but there are many who will when they know your heart is for them and you are sharing the goodness of the king who is love himself. We have to be willing to get a little uncomfortable and share the truth and love with those that need it the most. We always treat people with love, dignity, compassion, and kindness, but we also stand for their true freedom. In Galatians 6, 1, the Apostle Paul speaks to how we do this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. 
not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself that, so that you are not tempted as well. We treat people with unconditional respect and love. And we ask the Holy Spirit, we ask him, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to share with this person? How can I share the truth of Jesus that you have for them at this time in their life? Holy Spirit, what are they missing from the Lord that they desperately need? Lord Jesus, how do you want to express your love to them? Do you want to heal them? Do you want to prophesy their destiny to them? Uh, Lord Jesus, do you want me to meet a need they have? Truth and love, we have to do both. You ask him and then you do what he says. Jesus truly loves the, the person you're dealing with. He loves them. It is the enemy who hates them, not God. God desires that everyone come into his kingdom and everyone be given true freedom. It is their choice always because he gives us free will and they can choose not to choose him, but they get to have a choice. So Jesus has the best way to reach them and bring them to where he wants them to be. It is the kindness of God that leads us all to repentance. So we have to learn how to share the truth in love and learn to do it well. Now, this is just one aspect of society that Christians are called to shine to. There are many other places and areas of life where we are called to be salt and light. We're called to be salt and light in our workplaces, our communities, our church, our families. You know, we can learn how to do both truth and love in those places. We can add flavor and bring light without darkness. God is asking us to do both, and he's given us the tools we need to do it because we have Jesus. So I'm going to leave you with a few questions to ask the Lord when you have your free time with him. You know, ask him, where can you be more salt and light in your life? Ask him, is there any darkness in your light that needs to be cleared out? Any misunderstanding of who he is or his truth? Ask him these questions when you have the time. And then trust that he will give you the empowerment and guidance you need to go out and shine for him. Don't hide your light. Let it shine before God and men so that he may be glorified. We just declare that over your life. In Jesus' name. For more information, podcasts, videos, prophecies, and teachings, simply go to fromwaterintowine.org and follow us on Facebook at The Water Into Wine. This podcast is produced by Media 12 Productions, media12.org.